Big Fluff. Hobo Radio, the official podcast of HoboTrashCan.com. You can share your thoughts on the show anytime by emailing Joel at Murphy's Law at HoboTrashCan.com. This is Pete Holmes. You're listening to Hobo Radio. And I think that's great. And now, your host... Miniature dog enthusiast, Joel Murphy. Hello again. I'm Joel Murphy. This is Hobo Radio. And today I am bringing you an interview with Greg Barrent. And I have to say, I'm really excited for you guys to hear this interview. It was such a delightful chat to have. If you're hearing the name Greg Barrent and it's not clicking immediately. Uh, he's a comedian. He, I, I talked to him because he has a new album coming out called Why Are You In Here, uh, which is available on Audible on October 19th and has a wide release on November 2nd. And that is how I first knew Greg Barrent. Uh, as you'll hear in the interview, I saw him at the DC Improv many years ago uh, when he was... Uh, doing his first album uncool and uh i i just loved his set it's a really great hour of comedy and it's one that has always stuck with me and what's fascinating is that i saw him uh kind of just randomly (laughs) like i i wasn't really familiar with him i i saw that he was performing at the dc improv and at the time i was going a lot and so i went to see him and Loved him, got a copy of the album. And then a funny thing happened, which is Greg Barron blew up. Uh, he started writing for Sex in the City. He uh, released a book that you have probably heard of uh, called He's Just Not That Into You, which launched like this whole sort of different direction in his career where he was on Oprah and uh, it, it was just this really fascinating thing to see as he kind of got known as this uh, relationship guy and, you know, who approached all of that in a really funny way. Um, the whole time, though, he kept doing comedy. And uh, so that that's what brings us back to today is he has this new album coming out and I got a chance to talk to him. And I, I think you're going to hear it. it was a really cool conversation about comedy, about sort of evolving and aging as a comedian and staying relevant as the times change. And I don't know. I I just thought it was a really good chat. I think you guys are going to like it. And so without further ado, here is my talk with Greg Barrent. How's it going? What's happening, Hobo Trash Can? <laughs> What's up, man? It, it is nice to talk to you. I am a big fan. Oh, man, that is nice of you to say. You must be old. 
I, I am. I, I we can both start by feeling old. Uh, I saw you live at the DC Improv when you were doing the Uncool, uh, like tour. So wow, man. I'm, <laughs> can I tell you something? That's the for whatever reason that's the only time I've ever performed there, and um, I loved that week. As I recall, it was really fun. Nice. Yeah. No, I I was a big fan. Uh, I'll be honest, I, I wasn't familiar with you, and it was like a random, like, I want to see some comedy, and I came in and, and saw that set, and it's genuinely, like, I bought this CD from you that night, I, I'm a huge fan of that that whole album, like, it's really good. Well, thank you. Yeah, I'm Like, so that's got to be, what, 2000... Was it 2000 or something, or was it before? Well, it's weird. I can tell you this, that I remember that you were 40, because that was in the set <laughs> like I remember you saying because okay, yeah. you have like a joke based on that because I think on the album you're like 39 but I, when I saw you you were like uh, I'm 40 because the whole thing about the belt so that makes sense so that was 2003 and you have the original recording which there's only 2000 of oh wow um, uh, and um, uh, and then I re-recorded it when I after the Oprah thing I re-recorded it as a, as a DVD um, and also um uh, and then they used that as an album. But the first one was made by accident, um, or not by accident, but just a club had recorded my sets and gave them to me. I didn't know they were recording them. Um, that one is uh, everybody's favorite. No, it's great. And the, the artwork on that album is fantastic. Like, no, I'm a, I'm a big fan of that. That's nice, man. Thank you. Yeah. Well, so, <laughs> yeah, so I, I saw you then, and then you've had this, like, whole crazy, kind of almost other career <laughs> since then, uh, which has been kind of yeah, fascinating. Yeah, really, like, kind of a strange, yeah, like, a very sort of, um, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Life is funny that way. Um, uh, uh, but if I look at most of the things that went well for me, they were things I, before I did them, they were not what I was going to do in the first place. Um, as much as I love doing stand-up, that was never my plan. You know, it just, uh, I never thought about doing it until I decided I was going to, and then I did. Um, but the same with the book. I was like, I don't want to write a book, you know? Um, and then I did, <laughs> you know? Um, uh, now, since then, uh, that hasn't worked out with my saw band, but, um, you know... <laughs> Well, so let, let's take a step back. What was the plan? Like, what, what, what did, how, how did you envision it all going? Can I be honest with you? I never, I just kept moving. I, I like, I, I sort of think of it as like moving towards the sun a little bit. Like, I played sports in high school and I got to college and I didn't want to play sports anymore. And someone just said, I'm acting class. And that's, I love that. I didn't sure love acting. I just love being in the apartment. I just sort of, and I gravitated towards music and I played in bands. So that was really kind of my goal when I got out of college was to continue playing music. Went to San Francisco, tried to find work as an actor, got in a band. The band did okay. My acting didn't do well. And my mom was like, you have to do something with your life besides wait tables. So I went to, a, uh, I joined it. I got an audition for an improv group and Margaret Cho was in that improv group. And she said, you should try stand up. Uh, and I'm like, are you taking me out of the group? It seems unfair. Um, that's what I did. Mar Mar Margaret had been doing stand-up for probably, uh, you know, uh, uh, two or three months when uh, when I started. And um, uh, and then I went and I loved it. And so, uh, and I think I probably did well at the beginning because as much as I liked stand-up, I didn't have a real frame of reference for it. So I didn't, I think if I know too much about something when I go in, I'll think I'm not good enough at it right away. 
Um, and because I had only seen a little bit of stand up and, you know, um, I always thought there was a difference between stand up and Robin Williams or stand up and Richard Pryor. That always felt like there were two different things, you know, um, because they were such big stars that they seemed sort of um, like, well, that's not the deal, but, you know, that's, just getting up in front of a room of people. That's really good that you didn't go in with that expectation of like, it's going to be just like that, like right from the start. I'm going to walk in huge stadiums, like just, you know, it's probably good to have a different expectation of, of what stand up was. Uh, but- you, can't overthink it. you can't overthink it. You start watching, you start studying it. When you, when I start studying something, then I haven't had the experience of sort of learning along the way. And I'm not a, you know, that, that, that sort of is backwards for me. So the less I know, you know I hadn't, uh, I read a handful of self-help books and didn't like them. So when I went to write that book, I had a lot of opinions about them, but I didn't know a whole lot about that world at all. I kept thinking they're just not simple enough. It's not easy enough for people to get what they need from them. You know, um, so sometimes you come in with a perspective that people didn't have. I mean, you know, I don't I didn't make world changing stand up, but I definitely wouldn't have been. I wouldn't have had the courage if I had seen Pat Oswalt before I went up or if I'd seen um half the people I started with, you know, if they were in their prime, I would have said, no, I can't do what David Cross does. I don't want to do this. Well, I think what, what I love about your standup and what connected with me and I imagine what connects with a lot of other people is how personal it is. Like, was that always in the design? Like, did, was it always like you got up and talked about yourself or did it take a while to, to get comfortable sort of being yourself on stage? It did take a while because, um, when I started, you know, it's interesting because it, it doesn't go like, I mean, I think you probably know this to be true of music too. It used to go in trends, you know, like now you can be a character or you can be uh, a confessor or you can be a wordsmith and all three of the form have a guitar or do what Reggie Watts is, does, which is almost unexplainable. And it's all valid. Nobody is a hack or out of, you know, either people like you or they don't, but there's no one right way to do it but when i started you had to be a good joke writer and that is not how i get to the dance i do it by stumbling into the joke while trying to tell a story and i can only tell the stories of the things i experienced so it sort of eventually became that and my mom would always go i don't understand your stand-up it's not as funny as you are at dinner oh wow yeah no, that's a good note to get like <laughs> i feel like that definitely would make you reevaluate things yeah, I think, you know, it's funny, like, I think sometimes people, when they go to do something, they don't realize what about them would make them good at it. It's not that they don't have the talent. It's like they're pulling the wrong thing out of it, you know, like where their natural instinct is. They're afraid their instinct might be wrong, so they try and do a thing um, uh, unless they're just possessed. You know, I, when I first saw Cross and Garofalo, I thought, man, these people either talk about this or they don't do comedy, and they are willing to take it. And, and, and eat it because, you know, people didn't quite get them at the beginning, you know, but the handful of people that did sort of join their army early. And, um, and that, that fearlessness uh, is really what it is, is that sort of, well, it has to be me. And for a while, for me, I have a like, well, I could be somebody else for a little bit. Well, what's interesting too, is that I, I feel like there's been more of a rise since then of you, you're almost more in like a category of whatever, like Mike Birbiglia or, or someone like that of like these, it's almost like a show, like a one man show that you're doing, you know, that's more than just like a comedy set. Well, that's a real compliment. And I, I, I'm, I'm flattered that you see it that way. It makes it, yes, I think, 
um, that's what I always sort of hoped it would be. And I find uh, sometimes comedy clubs are challenging places to do that, um, uh, just in and of the way they're set up, you know? Yeah, well, that's uh, um, that's definitely um, something I wanted to ask, too, of like, yeah, how, how do you just go about putting this together then? Like, yeah, how do you start assembling an hour or, you know, a, a, a full set? Well, I'll tell you, the, you know, the, what's, what's been interesting sometimes, people's, and it's different now because of the Internet, but the old day, people's visual interpretation of you was where they would put you. So um, Mike Berbiglia, who is fantastic, looks like a guy that you would have on NPR, right? He ha- he appeals yeah. to that crowd from uh, from the way he looks. I look like the kind of guy people, guy. I look like a bro, you know, <laughs> just is the way I am, the way I carry myself. And it's contrary to what I do, but it's hard for people to get that quickly. So, um, uh, and my energy lends itself to comedy clubs. Um, but I just kept trying to um, just keep telling my stories and, and try and get more honest, you know, um, um, and the problem sometimes when you extract your stuff from real life is sometimes your real life gets really dull, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, and you're not living out in the zeitgeist with all the young people. You're in this sort of weird world of like, I could write about somebody else's experiences or I have, or write about politics, which I'm not interested in doing, you know, on stage. Um, and, uh, uh, and then you've got kids and just those tropes. So, um, uh, it's trying to find your way around that or find that make it interesting. That uh, is uh, sort of the challenge. Yeah, I feel like kids like I mean, in comedy, that's such a <laughs> I don't know, almost like a double edged sword of like you have kids that's going to give you stories. But then, yeah, there's so much of a trope of like, you know, comedians doing jokes about their kids. It's like this. It's almost like a minefield <laughs> to kind of navigate to find the right balance of that. And I think people forget, and even comics do, that's why there's all that cynicism about it. Once you have a kid, like, if I if I was in traffic and I saw a car flip over and go over a divider and, you know, like just this, like Michael Bay situation, I would go and I would talk about it immediately. It would be a singular experience I had. I don't think people realize that, like, having a kid feels like that to you, <laughs> but it doesn't sound like that to people, right? So you're like, but you have to understand, I don't. I didn't want a kid, and now I've flipped mine into the air. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? And people are like, well, this is it. But they're like, I don't want to hear him talk about his kids because they they ha- they associate it with a kind of safety that – and I understand that. You know, uh, in my entertainment, that isn't what I go look for until I see somebody who I think, wow, I haven't heard that story before. Um, um, but it's tough. Yeah, it's, um, it, it, it's tough. And yet to not talk about it just seems weird. Uh, well, what else that I thought was interesting too with the new album, listening to it, is you you kind of have there's some jokes like so, and some of my favorite stuff on, the, on this album is about your kids, but like you can hear it when you're telling the story about the ice, you know, on the airplane, and uh, there's like a weird the the audience kind of freezes up, like you're talking about her panicking and not knowing what to do and the, you get this like reaction that you don't expect and and so i'm curious about that of just like what it's like when like you're talking about your kids and you have this emotional attachment but then the audience is responding in a way they're almost like being protective of your kids in a joke that you're telling you know yes that will always throw you because you're like wait 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 and but you forget 
when you do this, that like your approach to everything in life is not the same as everybody else's. And for them, certain, certain, certain cows are sacred. And, and, um, um, and it's not that they're not sacred for you. It's that you live in a world where everything is fodder. And so sometimes you have to remember to respect that or to also go, while you're telling this story and it's amusing to you and maybe your handful of friends who are all predisposed to who you are, for some people this sounds horrifying or they don't know how to react or they don't know if it's okay to react. I mean, it's not like I'm uh, um, making me too jokes or something where you're like, oh, I don't know whether I'm allowed to laugh at this. Um, but yeah, people, you find people have uh, sensitivities. Now, I do remember specifically in that taping, I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Last <laughs> night, the crowd went batshit for this. But that is that is the drill every time. And you don't get to decide. And, and uh, um, uh, you know, um, so you just roll with it and understand that, like, they're, they're, the, the things to not do is to get too angry with them. You know, hopefully if you're if you're teasing them, they know that, you know, you're still the culprit in the, in the bet. Well, I think what's great about that whole thing, too, is the, the button to that then is her kind of uh, you you explaining that she knows that you tell this joke and her firing back at you, which I think kind of like gave this catharsis to the audience. And they're like, oh, OK, like this is this is acceptable. <laughs> like we can like, I don't know. It's like they, they could see that, like, oh, this is your relationship, you know, so I, like that was an interesting. Yes. yes. And it's funny because I, I had that in my pocket. I always had that in my pocket. And at one point I thought maybe if I tell them that first. Then they'll feel good about it. But then I thought, no, it, it, I mean, it really is sort of like it, it does, and it also didn't sort of happen in that order. So it, it's um, um, it, it's fun to tell it that way, you know, but there are sometimes with crowds where you think I, it, we just have to disagree. It's OK. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, um, uh, and, you know, and some people's sensitivities, sometimes I'm like, you know, you're too sensitive. I think at least they're engaged. Sometimes you go out and tell crowds and you're like, man, these people are all in their twenties and they just fucking don't care. And I don't really blame them, but it's what I got, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and to pander to them would be worse. Yeah. To try and find your way backwards is one of the biggest, it's a struggle, man. It's hard when you get older because you remember when comics were older and, and you're like, man, you're not getting this crowd. But then when they tried to get the crowd, it seemed even worse. Yeah, you know, yeah, no, it is a tough balance. And then like, you know, people's sensibilities change too, and comedy changes, which I think is good and important. But yeah, there's just like, I think you see sometimes older comedians going like, well, this has always worked. And it's it's a different environment now. And all of a sudden, this crowd, this, you know, these types of jokes don't fly anymore, which is always kind of fascinating to see. Well, and then when you like, I was in San Jose a couple weekends ago, and I was trying to describe a guy came by in a lowrider, and he was very much uh, in the flavor of uh, somebody from, uh, you know, one of the Fast and Furious movies, <laughs> um, who was Hispanic. And I didn't want to deride him at all, but I wanted to say that he looked threatening, and he was banging in his car hard on the street. And I thought, shit, something's going to go down. And then I saw this kid who I'd seen earlier kind of freaking out and laughing who was, and I, then I couldn't even think how to describe this, but he was of, of some form of, I suppose, mentally handy. I don't even know what the words are to yeah. describe, you know, th- that, uh, um, and that this guy was making this kid laugh. So he kept doing it and the kid kept laughing. And it was literally this beautiful moment where I thought we're all going to get shot. <laughs> and I don't know how to even describe any of this anymore. <laughs> I don't know what to say. Cause I don't, I genuinely don't want to offend people, but I only know the words I know 
or what we said last week. Right. Um, 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 and that this thing I saw that I had judged in my upon first appearance, and I mean, that's just, you know, you feel like something, you know, the front end of an Impala is making sparks and banging, and this guy has a, you know, a red headband on and a tank top, and he looks like he was cast, and we're right in front of a store, and then I zoom over and I see this kid who had said hi to me on the way out of the store, lovely, and and it was just this guy knowing this kid and doing this thing for him, and it was I like almost burst into tears because it was really kind of beautiful, and I love that it was juxtaposed against my stereotypes as a human being um, that are constantly being eroded, you know. Yeah, and and but to talk about it <laughs> yeah. was like trying to talk with knives in your mouth. Uh, but no, and I, I think like, you know, as a fellow, uh, as we've established old person, but, uh, like, yeah. I, I think that like, what I, I like about you is that there's clearly, there's a struggle, but I also think you have an openness and I think you make it clear of like, you know, I am old, I am out of touch, but like, I, I'm trying, my heart is open, you know, like I, I might not have all the language, but I think like that comes through in your material. And I think that that's kind of the key is to just like forever be open to to learning new stuff and to being accepting of new language or whatever right and also being okay with where you're at you know it, it's um there are some comics i mean you know the, the the best and oldest example is george burns george burns was old when he started but he just was in his own world and it was a way it, like it didn't you didn't want you didn't need him to be connected you didn't need him to understand. You could see him as the person he was and go, well, those are the words he uses in the world that he lives in. It's not my world, but I'm open to it. Um, and I think one of the problems with the way um, we look at things now, because most of art is centered on the people who buy it ostensibly, it, it is such a young crowd all the time that you do find yourself sort of feeling like, do I need to I need to sort of not acquiesce, but I mean, I, you know, everybody wants younger fans. That's how you keep a thing going. Um, um, but I realized that like when I was young, I didn't care how old somebody was as long as, it, as long as what they did seemed authentic and funny. Right. Well, also, I don't know. I feel like when I was young, I wasn't aware of how old people were. Like, I don't know. It, it seems maybe that's something about the culture that shifted too. of like, we, we shifted more towards a youth culture, but I, I feel like a lot of the comedians that I liked when I was a kid were very old, you know, as they were doing it. Yes. And also, it's interesting, both my girls um, love Mulaney. Oh, nice. Yeah. But Mulaney seems to me very old school. Oh, in yeah. In a way, he, he presents his comedy. I mean, not, not when he's acting like an old man, but literally <laughs> just yeah. his comedy. You know, it almost is like this sort of, you know, he his he sets his premises up just like this. And then the punchlines, like it is very. Oh, yeah. Um, no, there uh, should be a brick mannered. wall. There's a brick wall behind him at all times when I picture John Mulaney, like 100 percent. And it comes authentically. I've, I've known him for a long time. And it's and it and to me, it is not particularly personal, not that it has to be. It certainly doesn't. I mean, if that that's a you know, that's just a taste. Um, uh, of whether people like that or not. And, and he's clearly struck a chord with a lot of people. I mean, a ton of people. And it's interesting. It just is interesting because um, say I were to walk out on stage and do that same act, people would go, what? When is grandpa getting off? <laughs> not the word, not the joke, the, the style. His, his oh, yeah. writing is his own. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. I'm not trying to insult the man in any way. I'm trying to draw that, that thing of, like, you must want to go to your kids. Well, if you like this, you're going to love uh, the Dean Martin roasts. Right. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Right? There's yeah. a real old school quality about it. Yeah, maybe it's the baby face that he has that, that helps sell it. I, I don't know. But yeah, it's definitely like you're, you've nailed that. It's an old sensibility to comedy, 100%. Yeah, and he kind of and he kind of embraces it, and he and he and he sort of always has. But he does. I mean, look, he talks about Trump. He talks about his wife. He talks about he, he is his age. He doesn't need to put that on. You can just feel his attachment to whatever the times are, right? And um, um, and their understanding of how life goes. But it is um, uh, different than, say, uh, you know, uh, Bill Hicks or. Uh, Doug Stanhope or anybody that you've like something where you go, well, this is volatile and may not go well. And I'm not sure if that guy's not just angry with me. <laughs> you know, he's tr he's trying to connect right. in a very large way. You yeah. Know? Well, so. Um, um, yeah. So for you, though, like for, for putting this album together with, with all of that, I guess, in mind, like what. What was the approach like for you? What was it like sort of assembling this hour? Like, what were you hoping to get out of it? For me, uh, I've had so many delays in the last couple of years because of illnesses and, um, you know, uh, other sort of matters that I just wanted to get back on the boards again. And I wanted to, I had really long gap between, between, uh, records. And so I had material that I just had to pick through and go out. Well, that's just, I've, I've been, that, that's done. And this has never been recorded and that'll be good. Um, but I literally just wanted to say hello again. It's almost like, you know, I want to do a follow up quickly because I want to, um, um, sort of continue the evolution, but this is literally like, I need to put something out there. I can't get fussy with this. Let's just record it and go and see if, if, uh, if people are still, uh, down for it. Yeah, no. And, and so, uh, like how, how was the assembly process then of if, having all this material to shift through? Like, how did you approach it well i sort of thought to myself look the girls are going to be too old i mean they're going to go to college before this gets out if i don't hurry so i wanted to put that stuff out there and i sort of had just stumbled into making the flipping my daughter into the air thing that was that was an old story but but i was telling it for the first time i think maybe i started it like a week before the show oh wow um and so it had that, like, I'll take this older stuff and I'll connect it with this. And now I have the connection that maybe, she, maybe it's my fault. She's not so, uh, bright. <laughs> um, uh, and you know, for me, my bits are constantly evolving. So like, you know, I never do them the same usually ever. Um, and sometimes down the line, they get better somewhere in the middle of that whole weekend while I was recording. Somebody goes, I just, uh, silver surfer. <laughs> and I was like, usually you don't take a request. <laughs> during a recording of a bit from an earlier record but because people don't always requ request up i'm gonna fucking do it and i did the halloween bit and i gotta tell you man it, i it was better i mean i think i have a recording of it and i maybe i will i will, I will release it at some point it was i was rem I, it was almost that thing of like um I should have revisited this before i recorded this album to remember how how well i can write when i really write well you know, it had beats and it had things that were really thought out, but it took years to get it there. I still, uh, Crybaby Spider-Man is still like one of my favorite yeah. phrases that yeah. have ever been assembled. Like it's so, it's such a oh, perfect visual. You. Yeah. Uh, and that genuinely happened. I went to bed with Amira. We were sitting in bed up, sitting up talking. We used to always sit up and talk at night. And I 
said, what about that fucking kid? And she goes, what? <laughs> and I just went through this whole thing. And she said, "Get turn on the light and make some notes. Oh, nice. And I'm like, I don't even know. Like, I wasn't even, I literally, that's the other thing. Most of the time when something happens for me, I am not paying attention. I didn't remember saying, he's just not that into you. I you know, do things all the time where people are like, write that down. I'm like, I don't even know what you're talking about. That thing you just said. I, go, I don't know that I wasn't listening. <laughs> I should have been, been listening. Um, um, because I'm present. And that's generally when I do my best work is if I'm, if I'm actually trying to communicate. Uh, yeah, well, I also, I guess since, uh, we're at that time, I, yeah, I feel like I should ask you about Halloween this year. I don't know if you, are you still yeah. handing out the, the full size candy bars? Like, can people expect? I found that, um, um, I found it's gotten worse. I find that there's, uh, uh, you know, in Los Angeles, it's a different deal. They, people go to areas, right. uh, where there's like, it's like going to a theme park. So if you're not one of those areas, people just breeze by. Usually people drive from other parts of town. They come in half costumes. Uh, they want a lot. They usually, you know, like it's it's the fun of it. The neighborhoodiness of it uh, has got to the point where I started to slack off a little bit. Oh, and no. um, I would throw some full-size things in there. They'd be taken immediately. People are awful. <laughs> and uh, it's, uh, you know, I don't want to be an old man. I, I, I probably have to reestablish myself in the neighborhood. Um, but, um, uh, and I'm also very disappointed in candy right now. I find, uh, most American candy has, uh, lost its way. Um, I, I have a, um, a minute long, uh, Instagram show that I do called Lonely Ghost Addict Stay at Home Candy Review, <laughs> where I talk about this frustration. I actually, I'm glad to hear that because, uh, if I had a disappointment with the new album, it would be like you had the pudding thing, but there's not as much ranting about uh, desserts, and I did sort of miss that. So I, I enjoy the dessert rants. It it wasn't awesome, but when I I did this thing for fuck, I can't remember some I don't know if it was Audible or something, but it was a show in San Francisco, and it was a you know one of those live. It was from it was from Sketchfest, and I had driven up the five, and I bought this. Um, uh, hot, chewy, lemon, like it was like four things at once. And I took the package out on stage and I was just going to mention it and it became my whole set. <laughs> I thought, how did this get, who, first off, I, I was like, try this, put this in your mouth. Okay, so, so a room full of people. <laughs> no, this is, these things aren't made in a vacuum. I didn't make this and then bring it to school and go, do you like my muffins? This is, this is a committee. And who walks in to who walks into a pitch meeting at Reese's and goes, you know what? If we just shove, if we just shove the pieces into the cup and then put the cup inside the nutrageous, how about that? Is that a thing? <laughs> yeah. Also, we should make creamers. Like, there's no pride in any of it. It's so bald faced and um, reductive, and people using other people's ideas and. Um, that I find it, and Hershey's the worst offender because I feel like they never figured out how to make chocolate. So I have <laughs> those kind of opinions that would literally I could do an hour. Uh, it would just be you and I. Yeah, yeah, totally. And maybe some Jim Gaffigan fans really, might wander in. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He likes to talk about a, a, a treat or two, doesn't he? Yeah, Does he's he talk about, he talk, I remember hot pockets. He talks about hot, the hot pocket. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I had a thing on the last record, the uh, that guy from that thing about the um, about the flip side cracker. 
Yeah. Um, uh, and um, but candy really, um, uh, for some reason, I find it really fun because it's a, you know, it's innocuous. Um, I, I'm not afraid to speak truth uh, to Big Candy. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad someone's taking them on. So someone has to. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I got tired of getting mad at bands. I felt like, <laughs> you know, that's not fair. Um, and, uh, and, you know, uh, you know, I looked at a Michael Bay movie the other day and thought, man, this thing is, I mean, when you look at it in the context of the world, I think people are going to look back on it and go, it's its own art form. It's like Nagel's and people are going to collect Michael Bay prints and stuff because it's so absurd. And yet there's something so kind of looking almost innovative at this point. Uh, that you really never know what it's going to be in the future. Um, and uh, so I find it really hard to write off much stuff. But bad candy, there's no reason. <laughs> um, Candy's an in-the-moment experience. It's not, tom- it's not a tomorrow experience. It's a now thing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, um, you've been super generous with your time. I don't want to take up too much more. But uh, is there anything uh, we didn't cover, anything else you want to say about the album or, or just anything else that I didn't mention? No, I mean this was lovely. I, um, uh, I I'm glad that you found something to like about it. I'm I'm proud of it. I'm I'm happy to like be doing it. I really, um, um, uh, you know, it's funny. This is one of those things. And I don't know if you listen to Marin much, but you know, um, if, when you're even when you don't want to be a lifer, you are. You know, I've probably quit 120 times this morning. Um, and there are days where it is really tough. But man, it's just one of those things and suddenly you go, Oh wait, that's funny. Write that down. (laughs) (laughs) I'll go out and do it again. I got to go out and tell people that. Um, and, uh, and now that my kids are, you know, uh, almost all grown, uh, I, you know, and I've been thinking about other things. I'm really looking forward to getting back out and and hopefully making another one. Well, I'm really glad Margaret Cho pushed you out of that improv group. I think (laughs) you're very kind. Me too. I love Margaret Cho. Boy, we just talked about her for an hour. Oh, definitely. Yeah, next yeah, time. Yeah. <laughs> 100%. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. When her record comes out, let me do a counterpoint. I mean, I love her. I, I, I adore Margaret. I okay. learned a lot from her. She knows how to keep a career going, man. She really is an innovator. Oh, yeah. No, definitely someone who's had, like, sort of almost multiple careers, you know, like different phases, and it's always really fascinating to see. But whatever it is, even when she's decided to go out 100%, then she's tattooed. Then she's, uh, you know, like she really, she really experiences it and then goes back and tells you about it. I'm not positive it's the healthiest way to live, but boy, she is, uh, um, uh, uh, she'll be studied. She will be yeah. studied someday. She's really something. Right next to the Michael Bay Institute. They'll be. I'm telling you, man, I'm just going to do that installation. I'm going to do show <laughs> one month. I'm going to do Michael Bay. I would literally, I would love that. I would love to have a gallery. Um, uh, because I love, uh, yeah, I love installation work. So, yeah, I mean, LA, it's perfect um, for pop-ups. You can just have like little, like many installations. Well, I think, I think, I do think I might do something like that next time. You know, I did the show real quick. I did the show called I am the King sweater, which was about two years that I, uh, of my life where I was, uh, spent in Japan as a, uh, and, and became sort of a rock star there. It, it, it's not true. It's not, it is not a true story. And I would sort of say it wasn't true at the beginning of the show. And then afterwards, people would ask me what my experience was like in Japan. <laughs> but it really was meta and weird and meant to be something that, like, this needs to be in a gallery. I need to actually show people artifacts and walk them through it and do it as an experiential thing. Um, that kind of work sounds interesting to me now because um, um, 
you know, going out and doing it in front of a crowd. A lot of people do that. Uh, but have you walked people through the installation of your comedy act? That I don't think people have. <laughs> no, it sounds fascinating, like 100%. And, and yeah, like we can find out. You know how I don't know how the that story ended with the ice and the the drink. Did there's no resolution to it, so we could get like little inside. You know, did she eventually pour it into a wouldn't cup? It be, wouldn't it be great to have, to have the can there? Yeah. And oh the god, cup. the just can. Under, just, oh god. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and there's just the, a the silver surfer costume. Oh, all yeah. of it, like just walk through the bits, the Pictionary, the pieces of paper from the Pictionary. Like balled up, yeah, <laughs> a little like thrown yeah. thrown pencil. Yeah. yeah, it'd be great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With blood on it because I did stick it in my eye. <laughs> no, I love this idea. This is this is great. Like this, you know, I mean, you got to finish promoting this album, but then I think that's, yeah, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. No, there'll be a room. At the end, there's a room and I go, why are you in here? <laughs> and I can't. I, I don't know why you're in here. <laughs> All right, man. Thank you. I really enjoyed this. Yeah, thank you so much. It was great. I really enjoyed talking to you, too. All right, man. Hope to talk to you again. All right. Take care. There you go. My talk with Greg Barrent. And right, it was delightful. Uh, I, I really enjoyed it. I, I could have talked to that guy for hours, honestly. And if you enjoyed it, which I hope you did, and uh, maybe you're looking for more interviews on the site, uh, go check out the archives. There, there's a few. If you like comedy, uh, maybe go. You might enjoy our 2016 interview with Patton Oswalt. Or... Maybe our 2016 interview with Pete Holmes or last year uh, did an interview with Lauren Lapkus. So check those out. Check everything else out. There's also the weekly show with me and Lars where we just talk pop culture. So please subscribe, you know, uh, rate us on Apple Podcasts, do all of that delightful stuff. And uh, thanks so much for listening. And remember, question everything. To the ego of a pop star, still waking up to some microwave pop tarts. Taking back like pop art, taking back to 2010 in the back of a cop car. I got caught up with my hot home girl, I boxing a lot, yeah. Fuck, I got weed in the air. Look on my breath, got her knees in the chair while I'm kissing on her neck, yeah. We avoided arrest and I'm fine. I'ma own second semester, it's like two weeks from winter break and you're coming back home. The style just coming on strong. Creeping on your Instagram, I know I shouldn't be. See, you got a transfer, you can't afford a UC. We know LA girls are different. I'm not the same. Since the last time you visited I'm thinking on the fact that I won't be here next October Got homies on the East Coast, they receiving pounds of Doja I'm thinking on the truth, damn I know you do that She gon' break it down and make sure everything is kosher I'm thinking on the fact that I won't be here next October Got homies on the East Coast, they receiving pounds of Doja Breakfast is my shit, after bacon is my shit I've been steady pacing, trying to figure out my life and shit After breakfast is my shit, after waking is my shit 
Iron City place and trying to figure yeah. out my life. Yeah, I got microwave meals on deck like a boat. Yeah, I'm upset, but I cope. Yeah, I'm under stress like a rope. So when she undresses, I stroke. So much less than a boast, more than an intimate connection. I know you wanted love, and I bought you a rose, but I couldn't give you both, so I gave you some hope. It's a motherfucking joke. It seems she thought so. Yeah, round three, she got home, and she reeked like cheap cologne. Spending too much time, need a week alone, and get juice and bone. Tell me that you got a Uber home, well, you know, I know I might get jealous. You roll around with those fellas, but this, this shit makes me feel better. I'm banking on the fact that you got what you wanted. trouble hearing you. Joel, can you hear it great? Is this better? Is yeah. that better? Yeah. That's yeah. a lot better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm going to talk into the phone instead <laughs> of um, uh, uh, at it. I think probably into it as opposed to at it. It's probably the, the, the key great there. Great, man. Great. Um, God, man. I literally the oldest man in the world. Hobo Radio is a production of Hobotrashcan.com. If you enjoyed the show, please rate or review it on iTunes. Hear more great shows on the Peak Sloth Podcast Network like this one this is joe and this is chris from the curioso podcast you are currently listening to the hobo radio joe do hobos listen to hobo radio i think so they have one in their stick and bindle right uh that's called a bindle stiff sir bindle stiff and you know what if you listen to the curioso you will get to know things like that because we talk about the weird the strange the bizarre and sometimes the mundane that you just don't know. So enjoy your two hobos, but you can catch us at thecurioso.com on the Peak Sloth Podcast Network. Nicholas Cage wants you to.